0: This is the Evergreen Empire. Green grow the forests and fair flow the streams. The gentle deer grazes, the wild blossom gleams. From ocean wave raging to mountain serene, all nature's proclaiming our land's evergreen. Welcome to Columbia Conversations. I'm Felix Benell, editor of Columbia Magazine for the Washington State Historical Society. On this episode, we speak with Lauren Danner, author of Crown Jewel Wilderness from WSU Press.
1: The North Cascade was both a beneficiary and catalyst of the modern environmental movement. I mean, it was the, it was the issue in the Pacific Northwest that really got people um, talking to each other about specifically wilderness preservation, because that was really the first aim of much of the modern environmental movement.
0: Crown Jewel Wilderness is a fascinating look back at the politics and the societal changes that led to the creation of North Cascades National Park. And it's out just in time for this year's 50th anniversary of that wonderful Northwest treasure. And we have an excerpt in the summer 2018 edition of Columbia Magazine that's just enough to whet your appetite for the whole book. So, uh, Lauren, thanks for taking time to join us today happy to be here now the the title of your book is the first thing that caught my eye i mean what what why is north cascades national park a crown jewel wilderness
1: uh, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because it took me a long time to come up with the title and the title is really um it really has to do with the thesis of the book the sort of main argument of the book and the, which is that um when conservationists started to come together around the idea that the north cascades should be preserved. For uh, outdoor recreation and wilderness preservation, they had to figure out how how they could frame their argument um, that, the, that it was worth preserving as a national park. And what they eventually settled on was the notion that um, the North Cascades is the scenic equal of any of what we call the crown jewel national parks of the American West, um, and that it was a wilderness. So it had those two uh, sort of separate but related features. And when I say Crown Jewel Park, um, that's a term that's uh, been around really almost as long as the national parks have been around. And it's used to describe the monumental scenery that most people think of when they think of our national parks. You know, there's the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone, the um, the Yosemite Valley, uh, the Zion um, Narrows in the Zion. So these these sort of, or the Grand Tetons uh, also. So these incredible landscapes that come to our mind. And so When conservationists were were, uh, thinking about how they could sell or or promote the national park idea to both um, the politicians who would be responsible for any legislation getting through uh, Congress for this bill, but also to the public and try to make people aware of the North Cascades, they, they figured out that they had to really um, emphasize its national park quality, its crown jewel quality, and then also try to leverage at the same time the growing sentiment for wilderness preservation, which had been uh, in 1964 codified in the Wilderness Act. And they were successful in doing that. So that's sort of one part of the answer. But I just have to tell you that the other part of the answer is that when you write a book like this and an academic press, um, like Washington State University Press publishes it, you you always want a title that has the, the search terms that you think people might use, and so that was part of it too.
0: So what you're saying is it's it's part poetry and it's part search engine optimization.
1: It it, it is, and and boy, talk about talk about a term I didn't even know before I started this project. FBO, you bet. <laughs>
0: And you know, and I'm glad you talked about the other national parks that are you know the older national parks because it seems like you know if you think about other national parks in Washington whether it's Mount Rainier or, or Olympic National Park or the other ones in other states like Grand Canyon, this is a this is of a different generation. Those other parks go back a hundred years, I guess Olympic National Park doesn't, but they go back say 80 years or more. Um, mm-hmm. And this newer generation of parks like North Cascades they seem like there's a there's a difference to them. They don't necessarily have the, like, I can't think. Is there some iconic spot or iconic lodge in North Cascades National Park that is sort of the natural postcard photo that you think of when you think of Old Faithful or even, you know, Paradise or Mount Rainier or something? Is there sort of a, is, does it have a different character because it's only 50 years old?
1: Um, I think I, the answer to that is yes and. Uh, yes, it has a different character because it's only 50 years old, but it also has, it doesn't have like the old faithful or half dome or something like that because it was specifically designed as a wilderness park. So the whole um, notion of the North Cascades Highway going through the park, um, that road was already under construction and conservationists were able to sort of say, okay, that'll be our national parkway, and that'll go through the park, but the rest of this park, which is a huge area, you know, more than half a million acres, um, we're going to try to keep as wilderness and as wild as we can. So as opposed to other national parks, um, Mount Rainier being a good example, North Cascades only has, I think, seven miles of road in the entire national park. Now, that's not including the Ross Lake National Recreation Area, which bisects, the National Park. Um, but the only road in the in the national park proper is seven miles of road to the Cascade South Trailhead. So that alone totally changes the character of North Cascades National Park. It is a park that was created to preserve wilderness. Mount Rainier, uh, which was created in 1899, uh, was also created to um, it was created to obviously to preserve the mountain and, and to c- capture that scenery But as uh, Ted Catton and his great book and others have adequately described, you know, part of the point was to make it a tourist destination. And to make it a tourist destination, you had to build roads, because that's how people, that's how the national park system has thrived, is by attracting people in their cars to explore the parks from their cars. Um, Even to this day, 97% of park visitors never leave pavement. (laughs) So they never leave pavement, which is great for the three percent of us who like to go off on the trail um but it's it's a reminder that in a very real sense many of the great national parks of the west were literally constructed
0: for cars wow yeah i was at yellowstone it's probably been 25 years ago now and the roads were choked there was rvs parked along the highway but we parked at a trailhead like something i think it was called Ferry falls or something and within yeah. five minutes we it's felt like we had the entire park to ourselves it was great so
1: yeah and you can and it's even at the most crowded parks, that is still true. Even at a, a park that like Mount Rainier, which on a summer weekend, you know can get almost five percent of its annual visitation on one summer weekend day. Um, if you find a trail and you go off, you you can have a lot of solitude in those places. So and I think that that's um, you know like for people like you and me who like to hike, I think that's great. And obviously lots of people like to hike. But if you're not a hiker, I do think it's really important to have those places that you don't have to leave pavement, like the visitor center and the paved trails um, that many parks offer. Those are hugely important, and, and the pull-offs on the roads. And, and so, I think um, the North Cascades Highway does offer those things. They have na- there's nature trails and there's uh, scenic overlooks and everything. And you look into the park, um, but you're technically not in it. And if you Really care about those kind of distinctions, then you know it's probably going to matter to you. I I I don't, and 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 that also really speaks to the other reason that the North Cascades um, sort of maybe doesn't have that iconic uh, feature like those other parks, and that is that when it was created, it was both the national park, the two national recreation areas, Ross Lake and Lake Chelan, and the state wilderness. The state wilderness is managed by the Forest Service, the other four units are managed by the Park Service, um, but it was created with the idea that it was a complex that would be managed both cooperatively and sort of as a whole unit. Um, and so that can be a confusing thing about the North Cascades. It's like, well, why am I not in the National Park? Um, well, according to the, the Park Service and at least the legislation, you are in the National Park. But again... If you really want to be a stickler about it, I guess you're in the national recreation area. But it's all managed in a very similar
0: way. Yeah, and when I was a little kid, I, you know, I was I wanted to be a forest ranger when I grew up. So I used to send away letters to the every every single Forest Service address in the Pacific Northwest I would get my hands on and ask them to send me brochures. And so I remember having like as a ten year old knowing about these different designations, not knowing what they meant at all. And I would guess for most of the general public. They really have no idea what a national recreation area is versus a natural a wilderness area or a national park. I, I spent a lot of time up in the um, Mount Baker National Forest up by Baker Lake. That's mm-hmm. that's a, one of our favorite spots. And I know there was talk about Mount Baker should have been included in the boundary of the national park. But I, mean, I, I don't want to get too far off the rails here, but um, it seems like this the origins of this park coming together are, have Really deep roots in that post-war environmental movement, and there were some kind of coincidental, like people bumping into each other, that made this thing come together, right?
1: Yes, that's so true. Um, The North Cascades was both beneficiary and catalyst of the modern environmental movement. I mean, it was the it was the issue in the Pacific Northwest that really got people um, talking to each other about specifically wilderness preservation, because that was really the first aim of much of the modern environmental movement, things that we think of now like uh, health uh, and also um, sort of stability in terms of our scenic areas, those came later. But the first issue was wilderness preservation. And so as people, um, what happened was uh, Seattle experienced a huge uh, population, the Seattle area and Washington State experienced a huge population boom uh, during World War II and and beyond, um, the likes of which... Um, proportionally dwarf what's happening there today, which I think is interesting. <laughs> Numbers are different, but it is, it is interesting to think that in the 20 years between 1940 and 1960, the population of King County grew by 85%.
0: Yikes. <laughs>
1: now it's more like 30%. Yeah. And so just, just all those people coming in. And so all the people who came, um, they came for these great wartime jobs, uh, defense manufacturing, supporting industries like healthcare and education. And they came for the same reason that I came and that many other people have come, and that is the incredible natural surroundings. And so a portion of those people wanted to see those surroundings up close. They went out into the mountains, into the national forest, and they found more clear cuts, more slash piles, more mud, the evidence of um, the high-tech logging that was also... uh, you know, peaking at that time. Um, now, they were not happy about that, and they started to pressure the Forest Service, which was the main agency that um, really managed most of the public lands in Washington State at the time, with the exception of Olympic and Mount Rainier National Parks and a few other small places. Um, they wanted the Forest Service to, to set aside more forested areas for, for outdoor recreation, and the Forest Service was really stuck. It was in a really difficult position because those same people who were demanding more forested river valleys, um, more hiking, you know, more unspoiled vistas, also were moving into like King County and the surrounding areas. And they all wanted what I think of as the American dream of a single-family home. And those <laughs> homes were built with wood, and the wood came from the National Forest. <laughs> and so it was a really tough position for the Forest Service to be in, and they just it not that agency was not structurally set up to um, accommodate those co- competing demands. Uh, so, so when World War II hit and there was now demand for national forest timber, which there really had not been up until that point since the national forests were created in the late 1800s, the it, it the agency found itself in that tough position, and it responded by basically upping the logging, and that galvanized conservationists. Now, how they met, how some of these folks met on the North Cascades is, a, is a, one of those weird coincidences. Um, there were three members of the Mountaineers, which is, of course, Washington's oldest outdoor recreation group, founded in 1906, um, and mostly um, even into the 1950s was focused on outings to you know, get people outside and teach people upper skills. Um, the three members of the Mountaineers, two from the Everett chapter and one from Seattle, uh, went on a backpacking trip over Glacier Peak uh, because the Forest Service was reconsidering some of the boundaries around Glacier Peak that it had set aside for recreation. So the Mountaineers asked their members to go out and, and look at it, you know, and come back and report. So these three people went out and they went, um, they came down Agnes Creek and down the Spohegan Valley and they were waiting for the ferry in Spahican. And this woman walked up to them, she saw their backpacks, she saw their ice axes, and she said, like, where have you been? And they told her, and they said, we're members of Mountaineers, we, you know, we're worried about the like, taken And the woman said, you need to meet my husband. And her husband was this um, guy named Grant McConnell, who was a political science professor at UC Berkeley, who had a cabin in the Tahitian Valley and felt really strongly about preserving that area as wilderness. Um, and he, he also, his political science expertise was in conservation. So Suddenly, you have this um, chance meeting between these Seattle conservationists, one of whom was Polly um, Dyer, who became legendary in Washington conservation history for her everything that she accomplished. But this was pretty early in her conservation activism career. Um, and Polly Dyer and Grant McConnell started corresponding, and the other uh, two backpackers, who were two school teachers out of Everett, Phil and Laura Zaleski, and they start this sort of like big correspondence. McConnell, recruits David Brower from the Sierra Club um, to become involved. The Sierra Club becomes involved in the North Cascades in fall of 1955. I mean, this is really, really early in the movement. Um, It's really just getting started. And so you have this sort of chance meeting that turns into a very important connection that becomes the foundation for activism in the Pacific Northwest, which eventually takes the form of the North Cascades Conservation Council, a group that was founded and dedicated to wilderness preservation in the North Cascades and really led the local fight for preserving the North Cascades as a national park where the Sierra Club really took the national um, front on that.
0: How did you first become interested in writing about uh, North Cascades National Park and how did you become such an expert in public land and public land management?
1: I'll give you the fast answer. When I was 12, like many American kids, my parents, I grew up in New Jersey uh, in the suburbs, my parents I took, took my sister and I on our first plane ride. We visited five national parks in the West, Zion, Bryce, Yellowstone, Grand Canyon, Yosemite. By the end of it, I was in love with national parks. I was in love with the American West. When I got an offer for a graduate school fellowship at UW, I took it. I moved west. I met my husband on the first day of graduate school. Um, and when I was searching around for a dissertation topic, I knew I wanted to do something about um, how you can see how environmental values are played out in media coverage. And um, my advisor said, what about the North Cascades? Because he had been involved in the activism. And I said, the what? Because I was in Oregon. I didn't know. Um, and and uh, uh, that's how it started. I I just I focused on the North Cascades. And the more I researched it, I just couldn't believe no one had done it. It was such an interesting story. It's such a fascinating political story. It's so important in understanding the modern environmental movement, how it started, in wilderness preservation. So that's how I, that's how I came to it.
0: Fabulous. That's awesome. And it is a really fabulous, great book, great stories, uh, quintessential Northwest stories. And I love that happenstance meeting that happened back in, back in the 50s. That's, it seems like you could have a very different outcome if that one single meeting hadn't happened. And I, I love stories like that. So
1: I do too. All right.
0: All right. Well, Lauren Danner, thanks again for being our guest on Columbia Conversations. I really appreciate it. Thanks,
1: Felix. I appreciate
0: it. Thank you to Lauren Danner for being my guest on this episode of Columbia Conversations. Lauren's book for WSU Press, Crown Jewel Wilderness, all about the creation of North Cascades National Park, is out now, and we have an excerpt in the summer 2018 issue of Columbia Magazine. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Columbia Conversations from the Washington State Historical Society. For more information or to subscribe to Columbia Magazine, please visit WashingtonHistory.org. I'm Felix Bunnell.